Good morning, church. If you're new to Kingsland, I'm Ryan Rush, the pastor here. Wait, hang on. Hey, wait so just a second. So honored to have you with us today. This is absurd. Joey, you said you're going to introduce me, man. Come on. What are you doing? Sir, sir, you can't be on the stage. Security, ERT, can you help me escort this man off the stage, please? What in the world? Folks, folks, I apologize. Uh, this is not your pastor. I'm the pastor, okay? Excuse me, Ryan. I- I'm the pastor, Ryan Rush. If I wasn't Ryan, why would I be wearing the quintessential pastor uniform? I've got the blazer, the dress shirt, the jeans, the brown shoes. I've got the glasses. And when I was in high school, I was dunked on by Shaq. All this stuff's readily available online, you know, and anybody can dress this way. Look, Joey, I can show some ID that indicates who I am. You can look on the website at Kingsland and my picture's right there under pastor. And, and besides that, I have a host of witnesses right here in this room who can testify to the fact that I'm the pastor of Kingsland. So, dude, I don't know what you're trying to pull, but it's over. It's over? It's over. You're right. I'm not, Ryan. Thank you. But can I share one more thing with you, church, before I exit? <laughs> I want to tell you who I really am. Good deal. Yeah. I'm John Bowen, the worship Come pastor on, here. Come on, Joey. Come on, man. Stop Come it. on. It's enough. All right. Okay, Thanks. I'm done. You thank Joey Watkins, everybody. Got to hand it to him. He went all in with the gray, the gray goatee, the whole nine yards. Way to go, dude. Have you ever felt, felt like you, you were having a dilemma trying to figure out what was true and what was not true? Well, I want to unpack that today in a specific passage in the Word of God as we talk about some of these things together. Uh, listen, um, it, it doesn't seem like sometimes there's more deception around us than we've seen in at least a really long time. Well, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about some deception. I want us to look at it. Joshua chapter 9. Would you turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9? As you are turning there, I'll do the same. And I want to welcome, once again, all generations. What a joy that we can worship together with all generations every now and then. Uh, Not only does that give everybody a breather who's been serving so well at Vacation Bible School, but that's not the only reason. Moms and dads, I hope that as we leave today, you have a picture of what you could do all the time at your household, having some faith talks with uh, people of all ages in your household. There's nobody too young to grasp the things of God. And so we're going to walk through that together. And I don't mind if there's a little more rustling than normal in the, in the service. And, and I'm just so grateful that you're here. I want to say good morning to those in the courts as well as we open God's word. One of the things I love about the Bible is that we get to see those, uh, those characters, if you will, they're historic figures listed, warts and all. And one of the ways you know you can trust the, the scriptures is it doesn't just gloss over things. This is not mythology, it's history. And Joshua, in this particular case, of course, is a great leader, but he's not at his best here. So Joshua chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. I hope you'll look on as I do it, all right? Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they acted deceptively. They gathered provisions and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal Gilgal, and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land, please make a treaty with us. Uh, The men of Israel replied to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, how can we make a treaty 
with you. And, and so uh, they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And then Joshua asked them, who are you and where did you come from? So the people from Gibeon, from Gibeah, were being deceptive. And as they were being deceptive, they duped the Israelites because the Israelites did not ask some key questions. And I think when we understand those questions, we get some clues in how we can understand how to spot a lie. See, whether you're eight or 80, it's critically important to know whether something is true or not, isn't it? And, and uh, it seems like there's lots of statements out there that are sort of half true or sound interesting, but I can assure you that our kids are growing up in a world where the lines are super blurry. Moms and dads, can I speak to you for a second? I don't know how to say this earnestly enough, but in the next few years or months or weeks, your kids are going to be given statements about their gender, about history, about drugs, about your role as parents, about marriage, faith, and religion that are simply not true. And it's up to all of us to be ready to investigate those statements and identify the lies. And so when we look at these Gibeonites and the deceptive words that they said and how they responded, I think we come away with these questions that we need to ask when we're seeking to spot the truth and identify the lies. Can I share those with you just for a few minutes here? How to spot a lie. Here's the first question that we need to ask. What is the motive? Look back with me at verse 6. It says, they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land and look what they say, please make a treaty with us. That's the heart of why they're having this conversation. Listen, there's almost always a selfish motive behind deceit. And we read back, we read back in verse three, remember that they were scared to death about what they'd heard that the Israelites had done. And so they're showing up so that there can be a treaty and they're trying to press that issue. So it doesn't mean if somebody has a motive, it doesn't always mean that they're deceptive, but when there is a motive behind there, it's often the best way to understand or identify uh, where the deception might be coming from. So on a grand scale, think about this, uh, Satan, our enemy, our spiritual enemy has a motive. We know that Satan is a liar, but it's important to know why he's lying and deceiving. What's his motive? John 10.10 tells us, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, speaking of Satan. And incidentally, we also get what Jesus' motive is, because Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. If you can spot a motive, now you can start to, to filter out and understand and identify the truth. So we joked about Joey impersonating me today, but in real life, over the last couple of years, a number of you, church members, church leaders, church staff, have gotten emails from somebody impersonating me for real. And so the email will come. If you look closely, if it shows up, it's never from my office. It, it usually has some other email address, but it'll show up as Ryan Rush, and, and it'll ask certain questions. So let me give you some examples of how these generally work. Uh, this is one that came in that was actually shared with me. I need a moment of your time. I have a request and need you to handle it secretly. And if that wasn't uh, sketchy enough, then I, next I, I say, I am currently busy. No calls for now. Just reply by email. And so if you were to reply to me, I'm pretty sure Joey didn't do it, but Joey, I'm not positive. I don't think it's Joey doing this stuff. But um, th if, if you reply, then what I do, th this person requests uh, gift cards, money in the form of gift cards. And so uh, notice the email address, by the way, Spaster. I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be uh, senior pastor, but Spaster. Thanks a lot for that. 
And so if you respond, the gift cards, uh, about the gift cards, you're going to get something like this. Here's another actual email that came in. I'll be glad if you could get the cards for me on the way home. I need you to help purchase five quantities of Apple gift cards of $100 each, totaling $500. You should get them at CVS Apple Store and start listing these other things. Folks, what do you think the motive is of this person sharing these things? I mean, it's pretty clear, right? They want some money. Just as a side note, as your pastor, I am so grateful for people who love me enough and care enough that, that you would be so kind to help. I'm never, I'm never going to ask you for gift cards in an email. It's never going to happen, all right? Just jot that down and be, be certain of it, all right? So we see the motive here. So when you know the no- motive, it's good to ask a few questions. Incidentally, sometimes the motive is something that uh, you're for, and so it can kind of uh, string you along because you think, well, I agree with this person on certain agendas or what have you. But, but, and so you, you think, well, I'm just going to automatically accept it. No. Uh, if you know there is a strong motive behind it, you need to ask the question, okay, what is the premise behind here? You see, what is the motive? Here's the second question we must ask that the Israelites should have asked. Ready? Is there good evidence? Is there good evidence? It's important when somebody's trying to convince you of something that you examine the facts closely. Uh, Look back at verse 6. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. Now, does that sound fishy to anybody else? We've come from a distant land. When, When somebody's telling you where they're from, they're generally a little more specific than we come from a distant land. Uh, boys and girls, if you go to the playground today or the park after church and you play with somebody who just moved into the neighborhood, you meet a new friend, that's not that unusual around here, right? And you say, where are they from? Where are you from? And they say, we come from a distant land. Well, I think that's a little odd, right? And so it must have seemed odd to them as well because in, in chapter 9, verse 8, you see Joshua asked, who are you? And where do you come from? So he wanted to know something specific. So the Gibeonites doubled down in verse 9. Look at their reply. Your servants have come from a faraway land. So now they've gone from a distant land to a faraway land. That word literally meant exceedingly great distance. Incidentally, they'd actually come uh, around 20 miles from Gibeon to, to Gilgal. Uh, so they live closer to the Israelite camp than we do to Minute Maid Park. I mean, it's a day's journey at that time. They're not coming from a faraway land. When the details are fuzzy, it doesn't always mean somebody's lying, but it's sure a good idea to proceed with caution and look deeper at the evidence. Ask the hard questions. Remember verse 3, when the Gibeonites started, they brought a bunch of old-looking items, moldy bread, cracked wine skins, patched sandals, And after Joshua confronts them, they show him all this stuff. Look down at verses 12 through 13. This bread of ours was warm when we took it from our houses as food the day we left to come to you. But see, it's now dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. But see, they're cracked. And these clothes and sandals of ours are worn out from the extremely long journey. So they made it look like they traveled this long way. But did you notice something else? They didn't answer Joshua's question. He asked the second time, where are you from? And they just start talking about all this old stuff they have with them. Listen, if you read through the Bible, there are plenty of times that travelers do come from a distant country and, and, and they come to make treaties. But generally, they bring gifts to the people 
from their leaders or their king. That's what they do. You know the account of Christ's birth and the Magi come from the east. And what do they do? They bring gifts. That's what they do. They don't bring moldy bread and worn out shoes. That's what they do. Did, did no one have a change of shoes among the Gibeonites? I mean, that's a little odd in itself. Listen, if all the details match up perfectly in a scenario, sometimes that's your indication that it's not. I'm always wary when somebody says everybody did this or it's all bad or everything's perfect. You need to investigate further. And I'll tell you another indication related to this when you look at the evidence that I think is very common. One way people try to make things sound better than they really are or, or, uh, or try to establish a lie is they super spiritualize it. Look back at verse 9. They replied to him, your servants have come from a faraway land because of the reputation of the Lord your God. They knew that the Israelites cared deeply about their God, and so they made that a part of the sales job. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? One of the Ten Commandments, the third commandment says, you will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's how many of us have memorized it, right? And so, a lot of people uh, mistakenly think that just means you're not supposed to use uh, the name of God or Jesus as a cuss word. You've kind of you know, established that. It means far more than that. The Christian Standard Bible translates it beautifully. It says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. That's a really accurate translation, this misuse. The Hebrew term that's translated misuse or, or uh, to take the name of the Lord your God in the old King James literally means to carry. It's translated to carry. The idea is you're carrying this name. It's a tremendous responsibility to carry the name of God. It is a privilege. And so long story short, while I think it's very wrong to cuss using the name of God, the command means something far more practical. The third commandment means to represent the Lord correctly. And here's why that's wildly important. Because it's very common in our world for someone to co-opt the name of God in the name of whatever cause that they have and, and say, well, therefore, it establishes credibility with what I do. Uh, you can watch almost any award show and you'll have somebody who's accepting an award for something totally godless or, or uh, unbiblical and then they'll thank the Lord. And you'll say, oh, well, this guy's a Christian and so uh, I must be, able to be wrong about what he establishes or what have you. Anybody can use the name of God and sadly, many misuse the name of God. Just because somebody claims something's from God doesn't mean you shouldn't investigate and look at it further and put it up against uh, the word of God. You see, I want to do something a little bit differently today since we have all generations in the room and also in the courts. And so um, I'd like for us to do something. We're going to break up in groups for just two or three minutes if you're here with your family, I'd encourage you to just kind of turn inward, kind of have a huddle there. If you're here with a couple other people, maybe invite somebody next to you to join in a discussion group just for three minutes, as I said. And here's what I want us to do when we break off into these groups. I want to answer one question. I'd love for each of you to share one way you can sense when someone is not telling the truth. Now, if you have kiddos in, the, in your group, I'd encourage you to have the youngest go first and move on up through the oldest. Kiddos, that does not give you the license to ask grown-ups their age, okay? Be very careful how you do that, all right? 
Let's, let's answer, just share one way that you can tell or sense when something is said and it's untrue. That was fun. I, I pray that as we leave here today, we'll be a little bit more skilled at identifying untruths and, and looking for the truth. And so uh, thank you for that. Uh, we've asked two important questions, but we have one more we need to look at. What is the motive? Then we asked, is there uh, evidence but there's, there's something else we need to ask, and that is, what does the Lord say about it? We've seen two important questions that the Israelites should have asked, but the fact that they didn't ask this last one is probably their greatest failure in this passage. Look down at verse 14. I want you to see what it says. Such a sad verse. It says, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not seek the Lord's decision. How many times... Do we fail to seek the Lord about confusing messages only to be regretful later on? Maybe we think, well, you know, the Lord has other things to do, and so we don't need to worry about this, so we don't bring it to the Lord. We should always bring these things to the Lord. Um, in fact, the reason this is such a total indictment against Joshua's leadership here is if you just write in the margins of your Bible, Numbers chapter 27, that's an account of when Moses was commissioning Joshua to the ministry. He was speaking on behalf of the Lord and he told Joshua, you have what it takes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But then he said, if you ever have a dilemma, you go to Eleazar the priest who will help you understand what the Lord's determination is in that decision. And, and so in fact, the, the priest had something called the Urim that he could use to understand what God wanted to do. Now, we don't have priests or Urim to go to. You know what we have? We have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit that we can seek to understand what truth is there. We never have to make a determination in a vacuum. We can look at the standard of the Bible. We don't have to guess. Boys and girls, one of the ways that God has provided for you in this so that you can seek after the Lord is your parents. You can use them as a resource. And listen, if you ever have a dilemma trying to figure out whether something's true that you heard from your friends or you heard at school or you saw on TV or somewhere else, don't go a day without asking them. Even if it's embarrassing or awkward, you need to answer, get the answer to what is true. And so you can seek together what the scripture says and seek after the Lord. Mom and dad, we've given a few kind of silly examples today about deceptive things that have been said, but I hope you know that your children are growing up in a world full of ideas and proposals that are in direct contradiction with the truth of God's word. You know that, right? And it is incumbent upon us as parents to be the gatekeepers for our children's hearts and minds to make sure that we're filtering these things and watching closely and we're being discerning at things that sound good but aren't matching up with what God would have us do. When our daughters were younger, we sometimes watched TV together and when we did, I or Lana would always have the remote. And the reason is, it wasn't unusual for us to get three, four minutes into a show and press pause and we just stop and say, okay girls, now did you hear what they just said? Let's back it up if we need to, but did you hear that? Now, that sounded pretty good, but what, what's wrong with that statement? What's true about that statement? What's not true about that statement? And so we'd go a little farther, sometimes we'd stop, and so it got to where they really didn't enjoy watching TV with me, I understand that. <laughs> But do you see, it was worth it. Why? Because we can teach them to be discerning and spot those things where their antenna go up. You know, they, you know, wait a second, we need to investigate that further. We need to be good at that. We're the gatekeepers. Now, before we close, I want to remind you that there's a source of truth we can always count on. 
John 14, 6, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and here's what he says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want you to, to, to hear that one more time, and I want you to hear, I'm the way, the truth. Jesus didn't just say, I will teach the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Do you see? He's the embodiment of truth. So we don't just have to guess, even as we investigate, we can run to Jesus and we can find the source and the foundation of absolute truth and we can know him. That's one of the great joys of Vacation Bible School this week is, is watching people hear about the good news of Jesus, that God loves them for the first time, and watching some come to faith in Jesus. You know, that's available to everyone within the sound of my voice today. And when we realize that we're sinners and we're in need of a Savior, we can't solve our own sin problem, but Jesus Christ, the way and the truth and the life, has made a way for us by giving his life on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God, we can have new life, we can be fulfilled, we can be forgiven forever and be with the Lord. That's available to everyone here. I wonder whether somebody came on this VBS Sunday who'll trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. For all of us, I pray that the Lord would give us eyes to be discerning, a lens to understand that not everything that's happening around us is true. So let's pray together. Just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. There'll be several here who'd be honored to pray with you. I wonder whether somebody came in the room and your burden has nothing to do with what we spoke about, but you're, you're carrying a challenge in your life that seems overwhelming. I hope you'll allow someone to pray for you, with you, maybe with your family. Maybe somebody you dearly love is walking through a hard time. I hope that you'll come and allow someone to pray. Likewise, I wonder whether somebody came and you're here having never trusted Jesus Christ. I hope you'll find someone and share that with them during this time as well. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth that you give us in your word that we don't have to play the guessing game our whole lives. There is a standard of truth to which we can run not only in the word of God, but to the word, Jesus Christ himself, that we can know you. So thank you, Lord. God, would you allow our hearts, Lord, to hear from you right now, Lord? Call us to places of decision where things maybe need to change, habits might need to change in our homes. Show us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.